I was sitting at the lunchroom table, just chatting with one of my coworkers, and you know, this guy, he'd he'd been with the company for over 20 years. He was a lifer. He'd planned to be at that company, well, forever, and then just retire. At the time, I was new in my tenure and maybe a bit too optimistic and outspoken. He leaned in and said, let me give you a quick piece of advice. Don't be the tall weed. Now, I got to say, I was a little confused. I didn't really know what that meant, so I asked him to elaborate. He said, don't be the tall weed or they're going to cut you. Now, he spoke with the wisdom of someone who had seen that happen. If you stand out, you will be cut down. He was afraid. This turned out to not be that rare of a sentiment of the people that I came across in in many different organizations, just due to the normal uncertainty that comes with working in a corporate environment, whether it's layoffs or reorgs, just based on their experience. A large number of people you're going to come into contact with are just trying to keep their head down. They just want to keep a job and and not make any noise. Is that the type of people that you want on your team? How do you create a high-performance culture with that attitude? And what the heck is psychological safety? Well, that's what we're going to talk about today. So stick around. Welcome to The Corporate Middle, your survival guide for corporate insanity. Welcome to The Corporate Middle. I'm your host, Donald Metter. Today, hopefully I can give you some advice you can actually use in your real organization. Now, I got to say, it has been a crazy time around here the last couple weeks, getting ready to launch my first book, Surrounded by Insanity, How to Execute Bad Decisions on May 28th. Really excited to share that with everyone, and I'll have some more details, and I really think you're going to like it. In the midst of all this, getting ready for the book, I came across this article published by Harvard Business Review entitled, High-Performing Teams Need Psychological Safety. Google had this massive two-year study on team performance, which you probably may already be familiar with, which revealed that the highest-performing teams have one thing in common, psychological safety. According to Harvard Business School professor Amy Edmondson, she coined the term, Psychological safety is a belief that one will not be punished or humiliated for speaking up with ideas, questions, concerns, or mistakes. When you peel it back, it really only amounts to this single belief, the belief that you're not going to be punished or there's no sort of retribution when you make a mistake. It's all about trust. What the science tells us is that you're not going to get the best out of your team without them feeling that psychological safety. Here is the fun part. You are actually not in full control of your team's psychological safety. And you just heard a bunch of research that says you can't have a high-performing team without it. Welcome to the corporate middle, because that's what it's like. That's the problem. You're actually not in charge of this psychological safety as much as you want to be. And now you have to figure out how to do it. You're not in control if a decision is made to reduce 25% of the company or your team is asked to do something that is impossible. Yet you as a manager are still on the hook for figuring out how to lead this mythical high-performing team. 
How do you create this environment where people feel comfortable inside your team when they're surrounded by chaos? Number one, use the isolation strategy. This is where you have to pull your group in, pull your team in, and make them feel like a closed team. Everyone outside the group is nuts. They're they're crazy. Your team members are the only ones who are sane. You have to find some way to pull and keep them together. Now, your team bond actually can grow stronger due to the insanity around you. They, they grow stronger through that shared suffering. You see this all the time with boot camps or in physical training or things like that, where that shared suffering or even in tragedies actually can bring people and bring the team together. And so that's what you're trying to do a little bit is induce that where the team trust each other, knowing that everything outside is crazy. I hate to encourage the us versus them mentality because it really is a little bit of a last resort. But sometimes when there is insanity around you, you really have no choice because your goal is a successful team. Your primary job is to get the best out of the people that are working with you. You need them together. So let's run through a kind of a quick example to to show you what I mean. Let's say a bad decision was made. What you're going to do is pull your team together, have a team meeting, and just stand in front and say, listen, I'm sure they had some reasons, but I'm not going to worry about what they are. We're going to focus on us. We're going to focus on solving X problem, whatever it is that you guys work on, and let the rest of them sort it out. As a leader, you have to ensure that they are focused on what they can control. Otherwise, they can spin out, get discouraged, and and just, well, get you in trouble. You have to isolate your team from just the craziness and insanity that is around the corporate world. Otherwise, they're never going to get anything done. You have to move them past it. Your goal is to keep them focused inward on things that they can control, their inputs, their outputs, the objectives they have as a team, the objectives that you have talked to them about. That's what you want to make sure they're really thinking about during this time. Whatever thing you're dealing with, dumb decision or whatever, don't worry about it. Because next week, there's probably going to be something else you're going to have to deal with. And so what you want to do is move them past this as quickly as possible. They handle the job at hand. You handle all the bureaucracy. And and, and then you figure out and choose what you really need to share and tell them to make sure that they stay focused on the internal objectives and not distracted by all the things going on externally within the company. The second thing to do is to create a culture of learning within your team. As we referenced above, the key thing is people feeling like they're not going to be punished for making a mistake. Individuals don't make mistakes. Teams make mistakes. And how you represent this internally and externally actually determines what type of culture you're enabling. Several years ago, I was a manager of a team, and we had just launched a new feature for one of our internal-facing websites. We had sent out emails announcing how great it was, how this new feature was going to change everything, and right when everyone was getting ready to log on and try it out, the site crashed. Not just crashed, it went down in flames. Needless to say, this generated hundreds of emails, all to me, asking what was wrong. Hey, I can't get to the site. What's happening? It was an absolute disaster. It was not our team's finest hour. It would have been extremely easy for me to get really angry and just start calling the team up, yelling, trying to find someone to blame. And to be honest with you, that was my first instinct. But 
who is responsible for actually getting us to that point was not nearly as important as figuring out how to fix it and make sure it didn't happen again. And what we did find was a flaw in our system that probably should have been caught, but we were able to put in place some automated checks to make sure it never happened again. As part of the post-mortem, I held a call with our entire team. We talked about what had happened and what we could do to ensure that it never happens again. At no point was anyone singled out or blame placed. I even made sure to end it with a positive note. Great job everyone for figuring this out and ensuring and putting systems in place to make sure we're protected from this in the future. Was I irritated? Of course I was. I had to go tell my boss why our site was down. But having this huge negative emotional reaction would not have helped my team solve the problem any faster. You can't express urgency without the need for anger. The message you're trying to convey is, I think our team can improve. We need to do better next time. This is a great learning experience for us. Inclusive words like we, us, and team are so powerful. It is easy to underestimate their significance, but it is a huge driver of what your individual team culture is going to be like. That advice is really helpful for your team, but what about your boss? It doesn't matter how you feel. Sometimes your boss is going to be the one that wants a name. When your team does something wrong, what are you going to do when your boss says, whose fault is this? Whew, this is this is a tough one because you may be in a terrible culture with a terrible boss. The first thing you want to try to do in this situation is deflect as much as you can. You want to talk exactly in detail about how the problem occurred and the steps that were put in place to keep it from happening again. Sometimes this appeases them, but you may be working for someone who just wants to lay blame. In that case, you can take one of two paths. First, you can take all the blame yourself. It's my fault. I should have had more oversight in the process. Now, this can be dangerous because he might throw you under the bus. Sure, your team is going to really appreciate it, but given the temperament of your boss... It might harm or could destroy your career depending on how big the issue is. The second option is to soften the blame. Bill was the one who had authority over this issue. Once it happened, he found it quickly and put the steps in place to fix it. It was one of those things that probably wasn't avoidable, but we're sure it won't happen again. You name who is responsible on your team, but you want to highlight the fact that they're the ones that found it and contributed to fix it. You can use either one of these. It really depends on the type of boss you have. There is not a one-size-fits-all advice for this, and I won't pretend that there is, because situations do warrant deviation depending on the personalities that you have involved. You do need to remember your first job, and that is to make your boss look good. And so you're going to have to find a way to spin the story in whatever way is going to work best for them. No one's going to be successful throwing their boss under the bus or not giving them information that's not going to make them successful. So this is a tough one. There's ways around it, but very important to get this one right. The third thing, lead people, not projects. The final thing you can do is something that all leaders should be doing anyway. 
Remember that you're leading real human beings and not project results. They're going to have good days and bad days. Allowing your team to be people and have bad days is going to make a huge difference. If they need a sick day or they need to leave early, it's okay to let them. They need to meet the cable guy. You know, let them. This is not new advice. The challenge is to implement this advice in an environment that you're probably in that's high pressure or maybe not conducive to this. The company you work for may not support this whole treat people as a person. You have deadlines. You can't afford bad days. The real truth is you can't afford not to let them have them. Unless you're in the habit of just rotating jobs all the time as a manager, you're going to be trading short-term success for long-term failure. There's only so far you can push a team before they're going to break. And it's a huge challenge to figure this out, where that line is in your specific situation or specific job. I know one of the things that I have done in the past is allowed people to work from home occasionally, even when the corporate policy didn't necessarily allow it to happen. There was no policy for that. A lot of people frowned on it, but I still made sure that people had that option when it was necessary, you know, illness, taking care of somebody else, you know, all types of things that we did. You will be surprised at making small concessions for your team, what kind of huge impact that can have, not only on their loyalty to you, but the trust and the performance that you're going to get from them in the future. When your team or an individual on your team inevitably fails, how you're going to deal with it is going to define your relationship, not only with them, but with your entire team, because everybody's watching. It's part of building that learning culture for yourself. You're going to have to learn how to deal with that, and you're going to get better as it goes on. You're going to have to figure out how you're personally going to accept failure. A huge part of creating this high-performing team is does the team trust you? Trust can't be earned until it is given. You have to give your trust away freely until somebody abuses it. And in the future, I'm going to dedicate an entire episode on on how you earn team's trust, but it deserves a mention here because it is so important to that high-performing culture. And that's what it comes back to is does your team trust you? Do they trust you to do the right things? So let's do a quick recap. What are the three things that you can do today to make sure you're starting to lead that high-performance team in that high-performance culture? The first thing you can do is use the isolation strategy. This strategy is extremely effective, especially if you are surrounded by chaos. Bring the team in, keep them focused internally, and try to minimize the distractions from outside the team. The second thing is build a culture of learning. Make sure you are focused on how your team can improve. It doesn't matter whose fault it is or what happened. What is important is how do you be better tomorrow? How do you be better this afternoon? Learn, get better. And the third thing is treat people like people. Again, this should be a natural outpouring of who you are as a manager. Let them have bad days. Understand what's going on with them. Understand their situation and do everything you can to help them be the best version of themselves. Thanks for listening today, and I hope you're somewhere that you feel psychologically safe. I love answering your pressing mental management questions on just how to get through your day. We're going to figure out what works and doesn't work. And so if you have any questions you want me to answer or just a crazy story you'd like me to share, head on over to thecorporatemental.com or just send me an email, 
donald at corporatemental.com. Look forward to hearing from you. And remember, the reward for good work is just more work. See you next time.